When you travel, you have that purpose to travel. When you come home, you have a greater respect for where you come from. You have a greater respect for your place in the universe when you kind of get an idea of how other people live in the world. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? Travel. At some point this year, we've all probably daydreamed about our next big trip. The next adventure to go on after the pandemic is over, the people we would go with, the sights to see, and of course, my favorite, the food to eat. It's no surprise that in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, the tourism industry has been one of the hardest hit. It begs the question, how and when will we as a society feel safe to travel freely again? In this episode, we're speaking with Bruce Poontip best-selling author of Loop Tale, How One Company Changed the World by Reinventing Business, and founder of G-Adventures, an award-winning small group adventure travel company pioneering community tourism. I wanted to speak with Bruce because of his unique perspective on travel. He's an expert on the matter, but more than that, he's a passionate social entrepreneur that believes in the transformational impact of tourism. Now, you may associate travel and tourism with exotic getaways, all-inclusive resorts, incredible cuisine, and sure, that's all a part of it. But what lies beyond that? What if we as global citizens can make an impact while simultaneously fueling our passion for travel? That's the question that Bruce seeks to answer through his work. Bruce, welcome to our chat. I'm so happy that we're able to have a conversation today. I've been a big fan of G-Adventures for a while now. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, you're the founder of G Adventures. What inspired you to start a travel business built on a foundation of purpose and giving back? Was it, you know, out of recognizing that there was perhaps a gap in the market or a shift in culture that needed to happen? It was kind of an evolution. Originally, when we started, there was a gap in the market between mainstream travelers and backpackers. So you either went on a kind of a cruise or a compound resort type holiday or coach tour, or you got a guidebook and did it yourself. So my eureka moment was definitely finding that space between having a cultural experience and a cultural kind of immersion type experience that backpackers got, but making it comfortable and organized and with you know a small group of friends that can travel together and creating group travels. But it evolved over time because we were so connected to communities And travel has evolved so much over time as people's lives change and as we've kind of learned to live more sustainably and climate change and sustainable and responsible tourism came into play. And we seem like a natural fit. Right. And I want to talk about how, you know, obviously the world's changing and this aspect of community driven tourism. But, you know, first, if we talk about your entrepreneurial path and how you started the business, how long ago did you start the business? And what were some of the challenges that you faced building a company like yours? Well, it's been 30 years. We started in 1990, if you can believe it. We've had 30 years of double digit growth as a company. I always call us a 30 year old startup. But originally, when you think of how going back to 
1990, how people researched and how people decided to travel before. That was kind of a different time. But it was our motivation at the time to get people out traveling and do it in a way that was allowing people to experience things that they couldn't normally experience and didn't even think of experiencing originally. But, you know, as I said, it, it evolved over time. Now, when it comes to traveling, you know, a lot of us define exceptional travel experiences in, in a lot of different ways, you know, whether that's the people that we meet along the way, the sites we've seen. Me personally, it's the food I've eaten. And, you know, some people even like the luxuriousness of an experience. How do you define an exceptional travel experience within the context of your mission and the values of the company? Well, for us, it goes back to what you were mentioning before, which is about community, creating a community of travelers and also getting travelers to understand the power and privilege that we have in the developed world to actually travel. And so when you travel, it's about having that respect for the local communities, local cultures, and getting something more from it. So when you travel, you have that purpose to travel. When you come home, you have a greater respect for where you come from. You have a greater respect for your place in the universe when you kind of get an idea of how other people live in the world. That's what makes exceptional experiences. It's not really based on luxury or thread count or amenities, but we should all understand that travel is you know, a privilege that we have and it's not a right. If we can get more and more travelers to kind of understand that, you know, just because you pay for a luxury hotel or you pay for you know, a lot of money to go to a trip, you actually don't have a right to anything. And if we can make that small shift in our minds, it suddenly becomes a transformational experience. So community tourism is about everybody, whether it's you know, the people selling you that travel, the operators, the people on the ground. As a traveler, you are ultimately a guest to a country and a culture. And there is a certain level of respect and I guess even, you know, cultural etiquette that you need to be able to be aware of in order to partake in those experiences. I noticed on your website, it mentions that you guys frame travel as an exchange, not a commodity. And I guess that exchange is this cultural exchange that you're having, the exchange that you're able to provide financial input into a local economy and work with local communities. The issue that we have today with travel is the destination has become irrelevant. So people are so focused on amenities and the tourism industry is now you know, trying to create a comfort level so you feel like you never left home. So when you read a mainstream travel brochures, it's about you know, the amount of restaurants you can choose, the amenities, the entertainment value. And we think that that's just completely counterintuitive of what travel should be. You know, if you want the comforts of home, we suggest you stay at home. It defeats the purpose of being able to nudge yourself outside of your comfort zone a little bit and explore and expand your mind to opening up to different cultures and different people and experiences and ultimately come back from a trip with a wider lens that can help inform whether it's your business decisions or future trips or the way that you interact with your own community. I'm a bit of a dreamer, but I believe that travel could be the fastest path to peace. If people understood how other cultures and families and communities live, we might not have as much violence and the lack of understanding, which brings a lot of violence in the world today. So when it comes to traveling with a purpose, what does it mean to travel with a conscience and how do you ultimately encourage travelers to be more socially conscious and aware when they are abroad? Well, I believe that, you know, people should actually just match their values at home. I think everyone defines how they live at home based on their own values. And we all have different values and all of our values are relevant and important to us. 
With that in mind, what do you think are some of the most common misconceptions around ethical and sustainable travel? Even I've witnessed when I'm traveling or, or looking to travel that there's a lot of language around conservation. And you know, some companies will market themselves as conservationists when really they are masking exploitative behavior, particularly when it comes to wild animals. What are some of the red flags around this that you think travelers should be aware of? It's about asking questions. I mean, just actually caring. That's a huge step. If more travelers just cared where their money went and how their money is spent on the ground and asking those questions when you decide on booking travel, that's really the important step. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people are trying to develop um, tours or product really to fit people's needs. And some of them, like any other business or any other you know, industries, some of them are real and some of them are, I won't say fake, but less real. <laughs> But as you as a consumer, we should be able to tell, and it's just a bit of critical thinking and also asking the question. Now, I know that community is a very big part of your business, building bonds with communities that we travel to. I was reading through your new book, Unlearn, The Year That Earth Stood Still, and thought that this industry term leakage was interesting. Can you talk about what that means and how it relates to your business and community tourism overall? Well, leakage is a term that's used within the industry about money that doesn't stay in the economy. So when you go to a compound resort, consuming mass amounts of natural resources to house thousands of people within the walls of a compound, and people outside of those walls don't have access to clean drinking water or medical care. And it's owned by an international company or a public company. Very little money actually stays in that economy. And that money leaks out of the economy. And so when you start looking at leakage on all forms of travel, how much money is actually staying in the economy? How many people are actually being hired locally? Is the management team and the leadership team local? Is the ownership local? Are they paying taxes in that jurisdiction? All of these kind of questions come into play when you talk about leakage. And the goal, if tourism is actually to create wealth distribution, is for money to stay in the economy. Hopefully, there's a movement over time that we're trying to be the main kind of voice in this area of wealth distribution and poverty alleviation and how travel can transform some of the poorest countries on the planet. Travel is a massive industry, right? It's soon to be 10% of the global GDP, $10 trillion industry. One in 10 jobs is in the tourism industry. And imagine if we got to a place where your form of giving back could be going on holidays. When you knew that the idea that you were going on a holiday, your money is staying in the economy and you could be assured of that. Now, I'm certainly no expert on the industry, but how can a normal person that is just looking to book a, a trip but is also interested in being informed, I mean, how do they access information that will give them some sort of insight into how much a company is reinvesting into the communities that they're in? That information should be public and transparent. If it's not there, you ask the question before you book and expect to get that information. I mean, if a company's not doing anything or doesn't have that answer for you at hand or readily available, chances are they're just not doing much. Of course. I mean, in many ways, that is also a marketing strategy to kind of inform travelers that you are taking the initiative as a company to also do good because a lot of the decisions that we make as consumers are informed by our values now. Exactly. See, the change is happening now. So we've been with this message for 30 years, but in the last five, there's been a huge change. You know, it's all good. I believe in celebrating 
any change. And, and a lot of these companies are trying to retrofit their businesses to kind of meet the needs of the changing consumer and the critical thinking and conscious consumer. They're starting to do things for the first time or put programs in place. But at the moment, it's kind of seen as corporate social responsibility, like it's an add-on to their business as opposed to completely changing their business model and having these decisions made at the highest level. There's a transformation happening and it's a great thing. And it's all driven by consumer demand. So when consumers get more informed and consumers start asking these questions, that's where you create the benefit for everybody. And that's what community tourism is really about, is when you start asking those questions and being concerned and making your decisions based on these principles, then we as entrepreneurs and tour operators and businesses, we fill the demand that's created by the consumer. Yeah. And one thing that I've noticed, especially as you mentioned in the last few years, is shift in culture and priorities where you know, it's not enough for companies nowadays to just consider this CSR mandates and initiatives as an afterthought and as just kind of like a last minute decision to just tack onto an existing structure and foundation of a business. What I'm seeing with a lot of businesses that are successful with this and have really committed to this is that it's baked into their DNA. And so not only is it not an afterthought, but it informs every decision you make as a business. And by that nature, you live the mandate of a true CSR kind of mission. That's a whole other transition of business. And that's about businesses being successful and healthy by attracting and retaining the best people. So the workforce is changing, right? So millennials coming into the workforce are changing where they want to work. And it's also changing with just businesses. Like when you think about when we were kids or when, you know, 20 years ago, people looked at charities and nonprofits to change the world. That's changing. The giving pledge that's being signed by some of the wealthiest people in the world, and it's connected to businesses. And these are connected to for-profit businesses. So when people coming into the workforce now or people in the workforce and some of the best and brightest, when they choose who they want to work for, they want to be connected to that company on an intrinsic level. They want to believe in their purpose, their brand, their values. So it becomes critical for the survival of great companies and iconic brands to truly engage their employees and attract and retain the best people. It becomes standard operating procedure as opposed to looking back to the 80s or 70s when your parents got a job, they got one job and they worked there till they retired. That just doesn't happen anymore. And people want to work for companies where they feel they have purposeful and meaningful work. Ultimately, Bruce's mission is to show that through travel, we can change the world. While there may be vast differences across the cultures that we can visit, at the end of the day, we're all connected. What I've learned through my chat with Bruce is that we as people and communities have far more in common than we do differences. And it is through the spirit of exploration and curiosity that we can discover new perspectives and embed a deeper sense of purpose as we make our way through this world. Now we're obviously in the middle of some very challenging times for a number of different reasons, but how have you been through COVID-19, especially working within the travel and hospitality sector, which has been one of the hardest hit? Oh boy. I mean, for me and for the business, you know, we started by having to make some very difficult decisions because our industry, the travel industry, just came to a grinding halt over the course of a week. That was obviously very difficult for us in terms of how to handle the immediate survival, really, of our business and really testing our management on a technical management skill as opposed to making sure that we preserve our institutional knowledge of our business as our industry went into hibernation until people are ready to travel again. And then all being scattered and to remote management. 
and staying connected, especially a company like ours that's so committed to our company culture. And, you know, we spend so much time, energy and money building connectedness within our own people and getting past those difficult decisions, dealing with a crisis and then getting to a point where, you know, we can look forward, get into a positive, happy place and look at the opportunities that are ahead of us. Because now at that stage now where we can look forward, there's quite a positive energy amongst everyone, even though we can't be together and just, you know, working hard, putting in the time, putting in the work. I mean, in building on that, you know, in your book on Learn, you talk about this concept of creative destruction. And so building on this idea of opportunity coming out of this void that's kind of been left from the pandemic, do you think that this break from travel is an opportunity to change systemic things that are long overdue for change within the travel industry, whether that's, you know, from the way that it's built in an economic structural way to a culture shift? Again, I go back to the customer and the consumer. If we learn one thing from this crisis is that people now see how connected we are as a planet. I mean, you know, we've just gone through three or four years of real, you know, division in the planet, whether it's Brexit or building walls on this populism push, the breaking of trade agreements and, you know, just the battles and politics that are dividing us as cultures as people. And this pandemic shows that we are so connected and we can't get out of this without working together as a planet. So it's my hope that people see that and want to travel differently on the other side and be more connected to destinations. All we need is a small percentage of people to think differently, to have a seismic change. I mean, it's interesting because I grew up in a really small town in Alberta that's driven by the tourism industry. It's Banff. And I know that you're from Alberta as well. And so my family is still there and obviously very, very reliant on the tourism industry, hospitality industry. Part of it is also making sure that these businesses and these industries can get back on their feet. So how do we get there? How do we get back on our feet as an industry? How can we slowly recover from the PTSD of traveling? Well, I think it's going to be a long road and there's two sides to it. There's the opening of borders and the opening of areas and the opening of businesses. That's one thing. But we have a a much bigger issue to face, which is people flying again. I mean, I think that our biggest challenge in the travel industry is people getting on a flight. So we can create on the ground all kinds of limiting people into museums, masks, gloves, hand wash, disinfectant programs. We can do all kinds of things on the ground to create social distancing. But we can't get around the fact that to get in destination, you have to get into a fairly enclosed space on a flight. And so the airline industry is working overtime right now to figure out how we're going to get people to feel safe again and carefree. But in terms of your experience there with Banff, it's going to be a while before global travelers, which is a big part of Banff's economy, people come from overseas to see the Rockies. But there's going to be, of course, a new push for domestic tourism. But I do believe it's a short-term thing. I mean, depending on where you look, everything changes once there's a vaccination. And then there's life after the vaccine, where I actually believe that as a public, we've proven to have very short-term memories when it comes to just about anything that's disruptive. There'll be a bounce back. Through speaking with Bruce, my perspective on travel has evolved. Traveling is a privilege, and as such, it demands respect. When we explore different countries, we're engaging in a cultural exchange, not a one-way transaction. We need to be conscious of the impact we have on other communities, and it's our responsibility to ensure that the businesses we invest our dollars in as we travel commit to keeping that money in local economies. That's how tourism can change lives. 
I think it's interesting. Obviously, you want to be able to take away lessons and make sure that you don't repeat a lot of the things that happen so that they don't happen again. You know, in relation to G Adventures and everything that's gone on with COVID-19, how has it changed the way that you plan on structuring your programs and itineraries? You know, how will you acknowledge not only the safety of your customers, but also the responsibility to the communities that you're visiting? Well, I mean, we have two phases to that because we're in the middle of the pandemic now and we have a lot of communities that are suffering because of tourism has stopped. So we've got a couple, you know, programs out where we have relief funds that we're matching donations and looking to our customers and we're doing what we can for some of our Inca Trail porters and different Planetera projects, which we have almost 100 of them around the world, which we have created through our foundation, Planetera and seeing how we can help them through this transition time. Some of them have other industries or other ways in which they can you know, feed their families and carry on during this hibernation period, but some don't. But on the other side of this, the difference between us and other companies is we deal with very small businesses, right? Family-run, small-scale businesses that work with us, trust us, and they rely on us and aren't really up to date on the latest, but all they want to do is they want travelers back. And so I actually did a webinar, which is really unprecedented, for just all of the tour operators and hotels and hundreds of people came to just hear, you know, what we can do. And I don't know very much now, but just give updates on where we're going and what we can expect. So there'll be standards put out by industries like this already, the World Health Organization, the World Tourism Organization. We have many different travel industry associations and organizations that will come out with standards. Do you think that sustainable and environmentally conscious practices and behavior will fall to the wayside as people prioritize health? Yeah, I think we're going to go back a few steps in where we were. Like G Adventures had this global plastics project where we were trying to ban plastics in a majority of the places in destination for just water bottles. And so in our contract, we were creating, we need to water in the reception of every hotel free to customers, or else we couldn't work with them. We're trying to change the behavior of our operators and our hotels and our accommodations and then encouraging people to bring water bottles and just eliminating you know, all of our trucks in Africa, our Lando trucks. We have our water purification machines and carry our own water where we can, as opposed to people buying plastics. But now there is obviously concerns that you don't necessarily want to be filling your water bottles in a communal water supply just for safety's sake. With this specific crisis, the consumer is more conscious. They're more aware. It's more health driven. So I'm hoping that there's a difference and a change here. You've traveled around the world. You've seen how diverse cultures are and how different they are and the beauty of the differences. On that same note, are there any common denominators that you've noticed when it comes to you know, what people value or what brings them joy, what brings them a sense of safety, or even just a general observation around our humanity as people? We share far more in common than differences. Even religions. Religions are very different in terms of how people worship. But the key ideas of religion, of, you know, treating your neighbor like how you want to be treated, respect, love, and understanding, and, you know, all of these things are very common threads. You know, we all want to be loved, we all want to love, and we want to offer that same respect. But even how you define happiness, what drives human happiness, which, you know, if you listen to the teachings of the Dalai Lama, he talks about our purpose in life is to achieve happiness. And when we realize that our happiness is directly related to creating happiness for others, is really our purpose in life. And that transcends cultures, it transcends religions, and it's a common thread amongst humanity. When I think about one of the most memorable trips I've ever been on, it was 
traveling back to the motherland. And I grew up in Canada, but my heritage is Korean. And I think as a Korean Canadian, you know, I had visited when I was younger. And when I was younger, that experience was very different from when I went out when I was older, because my identity as an Asian Canadian was not built into the Korean side or the the Asian side so much, which is a whole other conversation to have. But it wasn't something that I appreciated. And actually connecting to my roots was not really a priority for me. It was more so about blending into the community that I was in at that moment in time. But I went back when I was older and I went back with my family, with my brother and my father. And I have to say that that is probably the most meaningful and valuable trip that I've had because it allowed me to connect to my own community in a different way and really see where I come from, my roots, how my family grew up as well. You know, my dad showed my brother and I kind of different little haunts and watering holes that he went to when he was growing up in Seoul and everything. And also connecting to food. Anywhere that you go, food is such a great barometer of what people value and how people connect with each other and how people kind of break bread and come together at a table or the ingredients they use. And you can tell so much about food. And so I was really able to explore my own culture when I went back through eating. Oh, food is huge. Food and music art too. All of those things are pillars that define cultures, right? That define health, define what and how people eat or family connectedness. There's huge studies on just that, how food drives cultures around the world. It's a shame to me that people decide to go on trips and they make a decision because they can eat French or Japanese or Italian on different days and not eat local cuisine and experience that. Yeah. One of the trips that I went to Mexico I remember distinctly that the first thing that we did was looking for something to eat. And the first thing that we saw was, you know, not only like an American Eagle and a Victoria's Secret, but all these other restaurants that you could get just by, you know, five minutes outside of where you live on an everyday basis. And so this kind of globalization of tourism and all these brands that we recognize is, I guess, given some people some comfort, but also defeated the entire purpose of traveling and being able to explore local cultures too. Exactly. I mean, all of these things are set up so people feel like they never left home. And that's what's counterintuitive to me of how travel was going. And, you know, at G-Adventures, we've always said that that is the most unnatural thing in the world. I mean, we have this saying that, you know, that we're born explorers and society makes us tourists. And I really believe that. And getting back to those original carnal needs that we have to explore. I mean, when you look back in history, People risked their lives to explore because they had this desire to see if the world was round instead of flat or discover the North Pole or the South Pole. The first travelers that went to Africa and brought big game animals back to Europe. I mean, we have this internal desire and born desire to explore. But society along the way changes that and we turn into the tourists who create a one-way relationship with travel. So just as a, a last question and a lighter way to end off, what has been your favorite trip that you've ever been on or do you have a favorite trip? or one that really sticks out for you? My answer to that question is always my last one is my favorite trip. But I've had my own kind of career of travel experiences. And, and lately, I've been much more attracted to open spaces, like wide open spaces, like Mongolia, or Galapagos Islands, or Antarctica. I'm really attracted to stark beauty, spiritual places like Tibet. Tibet, to me, is one of the most monumental 
trips for me where I changed my thinking. And my first book, Loop Tale, kind of starts on March 14th, 1997 in Tibet. Kind of marked that day very carefully because it changed the way I think about life and business. It was very important, but I've never gone to a place that I didn't absolutely love. I mean, I don't go to places to judge. So I don't go to places to compare them to other places I've been. I go with a completely open heart and every place has its own beauty. And I've never met a place that I haven't completely fallen in love with. Yeah, well, I think everyone can share and agree that we're all looking to embrace that spirit of exploration, whether that's just in our local communities or or beyond our borders. So with that in mind, thank you so much for chatting with us today. It's been really interesting to hear about your experiences and your perspective on everything that's happening right now and just really inspiring to see what you have to say about traveling. Thank you. Great questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's no doubt that the future of travel and tourism stands on shaky ground. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed entire industries forever and called into question how and when we as a community will feel safe and confident to venture out again. But society tends to have a short-term memory and its eagerness to return to business as usual is strong. Maybe this is an opportunity for the industry to find new ways to innovate to our new reality in order to get back up and running. Next episode on Mission Critical, we speak with Alan Lau, CEO and co-founder of Wattpad, an entertainment platform that has launched the careers of writers and adapted user-generated stories into hit movies and TV shows. Can we make more content to be successful? Can we increase the success rates, especially in the day in the age of technology and data science? A chat with Alan about how he created Wattpad, the importance of telling diverse stories, and how they're using technology to unearth the next big thing. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts so we can get the word out. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?